hammer down and push your IndyCar to the limit. No better way to quiet your critics than to go to victory lane. From turbochargers to tight turns, we're covering everything that's happening in the NTT IndyCar Series. And Alex Exclusive interviews with drivers, crew chiefs, and team owners discussing the IndyCar storylines that matter to you. No matter whether it's a street circuit, a road course, a super speedway, or a small oval, it's fantastic, and there's more to come in 2022. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Well, it is a Wednesday night on the NBC Sports Channel, uh, Channel 85, so you know what it is. It's time for the IndyCar Nation. To be treated to the thoughts, the ideas, and the ruminations of my co-host, Tony Kanan. Here on Brick by Brick, TK yet again getting ready to trot across the globe and go back to Brazil. Uh, Are you ever going to just slow down, my friend? Eventually. You know, (laughs) when I get old, then I can't walk anymore, maybe. But for now, uh, we keep doing this. I'm enjoying it, having fun. So... uh, you know, uh, it's it's a little bit of a haul every time. You know, we, you know, we do the show weekly, and uh, I don't think I've done two shows in a row from the same place. Well, we are counting down the days to what I have always felt, and I, I'm interested in your thoughts, and that's the running of the Acura Grand Prix at Long Beach. Whether it's because of its long and storied history, or maybe because the venue itself was so you know, cutting edge for so long and still is. I say that in many ways it has the same stature as the Grand Prix of Monte Carlo has in Formula One. What say you? I mean, 100%. Long Beach was always, you know, the track that you're looking for to go. And, you know, you can see, you know, the way you can watch the race from the top of some of the hotels or the buildings and you can see the, you know, the beach right beside it and the restaurants around the buzz around town. I mean, I've, uh, my first race there was 1996 and, and that's exactly what I had thought. I have done the 1995 Monaco Grand Prix with in Formula three, Jack. And mm-hmm. when I got there, I was like, wow. Okay. All right. You know, you talk about Monte Carlo and you know, it's a, it's a small Island of people with a lot of money, this and that, but, Long Beach was like, you know, they had, you know, muscle cars, they had sports cars, uh, you know, outside of the track, the buzz in the restaurants. And it's, uh, I mean, it's definitely a track that we missed when we we had the split for a while. And then it was the first track to come back. So uh, it's one of the probably, in my opinion, one of the best races we have. Well, and to this day, it's not just IndyCars, although the IndyCars anchor the weekend. You've got Robbie Gordon's stadium trucks. You've got the IMSA WeatherTech Series and the DPI cars. I mean, from 7 a.m. until sunset, TK, the sounds of auto racing echo down, uh, you know, Shoreline Drive. And it, it is just a motorsports festival. And that is, doesn't even include you know, at the convention center, a lot of the activities there, or shall I say the assortment of food and beverage available to fans everywhere. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, I remember that, you know, you, you finish your session and you're walking back to the hotel, especially on Saturday, they have the IMSA race and you can actually catch the race yeah. in the hotel. And obviously uh, walking around, uh, you see all sorts of things, you know, people there are there to watch the race, people there, they're not even going to remember what happened that day. <laughs> that day you know but um you know having fun and enjoying time so it's uh 
again, Jack, it's, it's all, and you see people on boats, you know, uh, in the marina and the end of the straightaway uh, having some fun. And, and it's, it's just, a, it's really, it's, it's, a, it's an event. It's not just a race itself. I mean, you, you add four or five series there, but also the whole atmosphere, it's a, it's a party. It's a party going on. A little bit later, we'll uh, sit down and kind of examine it. And as always, you and I, before we end our little one-hour get-together, we'll uh, predict who we feel will be the winner of the Acura Grand Prix this weekend. But there has been some news, some of it very good news. Remember, Jack Harvey suffered a concussion that kept him out of the Expel 375. Well, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing announced that Harvey will return to the cockpit of the high V Honda for that Acura Grand Prix. You know, I, I don't think we pay enough attention. When you first started in this business, TK, and I'm going to use the old, the old cliche, if you had a concussion, you didn't tell anybody. Or if you did get knocked out, you didn't want anybody to know because uh, the old adage was, ah, just rub some dirt in it. But the concussion protocols in auto racing and now in almost virtually every sport, even, you know, the upcoming World Cup or the Premier League in soccer and then, of course, in the NFL, it's very detailed. And it's good to see that Harvey has uh, has returned to what we call the baseline. It'll be good to have the Brit back behind the keyboard. No, 100%. But, Jack, I have to say I go even beyond that. I mean, sometimes we had a concussion we didn't even know. Yeah, that's true. You know what yeah. I mean? So, I mean, the protocol, I mean, it, now it's like you do a test in, in the beginning of the year to set your baseline, which you try to, like, in the past, we tried to actually not do good at the test just in case you had a concussion. <laughs> now it's so advanced that you, can, you can't cheat the test. And, and it's so important, right? Because you're not just talking about you not being able to drive and put your life at, at risk, but you talk about the other guys. I remember when I had a, a, a bad concussion that was quite obvious. It was in Detroit uh, 2001. I crashed and I got out of the car and I kept repeating the same thing over and over and over again. And Dr. Tremor at the time says, well, you're out. And I was out for a week and I came back to Portland, but I don't think I was still a hundred percent, but we have no way of testing. I mean, obviously there was the typical test that you couldn't remember things. You kept repeating things. And obviously it was a week later, but I mean, glad that uh, IndyCar developed with, you know, in all other sports are using it now, the concussion protocol. And then Jack is, is good to go. He's a little bit in the hot seat, in my opinion. I, I, I know we, I'm not trying to debate on that, but uh, Santino Ferrucci hops in without any graphics and finished like ninth. Um, I think it was, uh, you know, you never, although you're hurt and you don't want to be in the car, Jack hasn't had the best start of the season for him and having Santino to do that, you know, it's a night opening. So a little bit of, I think, an extra pressure for Jack this weekend, but, um, you know, glad that he's okay. Well, and you want to stay right here on uh, Brick by Brick because coming up in the next segment, we're going to meet one of uh, Jack Harvey's teammates who uh, comments on uh, Santino Ferrucci's performance. But, TK, he made a bold prediction when he appeared with me on the latest episode of my podcast series, Wind Tunnel. The young Danish driver predicted that Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing will finish one two, three in this weekend's Acura Grand Prix. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I think I have a better shot of growing a mullet, but uh, stay tuned because he does articulate a lot of things and talks a lot, TK, 
about how adaptability has been his go-to in switching from a reserve driver for the Formula One Alpine team to a full-time ride in IndyCar. Some of the other news, talking about Formula One and some correlation, we visited with the uh, Honda project manager for the new 2.4-liter engine test, and uh, he kind of revealed what they were doing. Well, it turns out Chevrolet got their chance at the Speedway on the road course as well with Joseph Newgarden and Will Power. And uh, and I'm quoting from the uh, Chevrolet new uh, press release, the results were uh, straight A's for the Chevrolet. And uh, we have to keep in mind that neither of those engines uh, deployed or had in place the hybrid side of things. But I thought about it after our conversation with the Honda representative, and I'm beginning to get the sense that this hybrid ad is, is quite honestly going to be, uh, you know, a, a power recovery opportunity that, oh, by the way, can trace some of its roots to what Formula One is using. But it did raise one question the more I thought about it, and I wanted to ask you, if you could because we see a lot of fuel mileage races, right? Deploy the hybrid and the hybrid only to try and conserve fuel under caution periods. Hmm. I never thought of that. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, you, you, you're asking the wrong guy about, about fuel mileage. I hate fuel mileage races. <laughs> yes, me it's too. Honestly, dumb. me too. I think it's worthless. I think it's a simple fact that you can fix that with more laps or less laps. I mean, uh, we're, we're, I'm going to compare ourselves with any other top series. Formula One, don't, they don't worry about fuel mileage. They, you know, they, 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 they race. And, you know, how can you race fast trying to race slow? That's pretty much what fuel mileage have to do. I know it's a set of skills that some guys have better than others. I understand. Uh, but you're giving an advantage to, let's say, I'll give you an example, Jack. Let's say my car is half a second quicker than yours in the race, right? So for mm -hmm. you to keep up with me, you have to burn fuel, and I can actually dial down and run the same lap time as you. You're never going to pass me, and I'm having the advantage of saving more fuel. So when I pit, I pit, and then I come out in front of you, you know, away ahead of you because I save more fuel. Race is a race, in my opinion. So anyway, to answer your question, uh, pretty, yeah, it was well thought, actually, pretty smart. Uh, you know, pretty smart for a uh, dumbass like me, right? Yeah, which yeah. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I think obviously the engine manufacturers are thinking of that already. But it's, I'm pretty sure that's something that they've been trying. I know, you know, I talked to Honda after we interview uh, the guy, and 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 they are definitely uh, they did a lot of reliability mm. runs. You know, it wasn't like more trying to see; they just did long runs, twenty lap runs, to see if everything was working. Hey, I give you high marks. Uh, unlike our counterpart, uh, the NBC's newest sports analyst, and still he wants to be classified as IndyCar driver, James Hinchcliffe, on his hit podcast on Sirius XM Radio and the podcast series uh, Off Track with Hinch and Rossi, went, well, shall we say, a little overboard, and we'll, we'll play it a little bit later and comment on it when they were breaking down the last lap at the Circuit of Americas for the NASCAR Cup Series, when Ross Chastain scored his first victory uh, by trading paint and uh, dive-bombing into a corner and uh, paraphrasing James Hinchcliffe, it was horse beep. 
a little bit later talk about that. You didn't go over the line. But final question in this uh, developments for the future for IndyCar. I'm a huge fan of DRS in Formula One. Is that something we should consider? Uh, I don't know. I think we have to push to pass. The DRS, uh, it's going to get complicated and costly. We're trying to keep okay, costs yeah. down. You're going to have to have a mechanism that, you know, that opens the rear wing and stuff. So we do have a sort of DRS. We have to push to pass. Obviously, we don't have push to pass zones, but mm-hmm. they, they are blocked for the first lap for the start and they're blocked for the restart. Basically, I mean, I'm a fan of push to pass because it gives you the ability to use whenever you want to use. So, uh, no, the answer for me is no. Well, we're uh, not too early, finally, to uh, project what we're about going to see in the month of May. Not necessarily at the Indy GP on the road course, but when they open the big track, uh, the granddaddy of them all, the greatest spectacle in racing, preparations for the Indy 500. And this has been a debate that for the last two decades has gone on and on and on. And it's the question as to will there be 33 entries for this season's Indy 500? I don't even think it's a question, TK. There will be 33. I'm predicting that we're going to have 35 entries. What say you? Uh, I don't. I no, think it's going to really? be a tight, a tight 33. It's, I mean, if you look at the engine counts and you look at the teams that they used to fill in for those entries, they actually either are full-time teams or kind of like a part-time team. So like add Carpenter at the car, Junkos is full-time. So, which Jack, the question is, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, we're going to have bump. Maybe, maybe not, but I think 30, we will have 33. I'm not sure if we're going to have 35. I think the big question now, remember Beth Pereira one year ago and the all-female team, and, uh, you know, you start to look and rounding up some of the usual suspects, but yet uh, the traditional entry from Dreyer and Reinbull, the local heroes, uh, is A.J. Foyt, you know, is he going to going to? Feel yeah, but they're the, all there. They're exactly. All there already. So know, that's I mean, my that's point is when you get done with all those usual suspects, Who's left to take that flyer, that one-off? So it's going to remain to be seen, but I think the window is closing and closing quickly. And, oh, by the way, you deal with it. I deal with it. Every person listening to this show deals with it. It's called supply chain uh, economics, supply chain challenges. It's no different in the world of IndyCar racing or in motorsports. You know, parts and pieces are at a premium. You, you don't just uh, call up to, uh, to uh, uh, you know, the, the, the suppliers and say, hey, send me three more of these. Uh, it's because of the globalization and the issues we're facing that in and of itself presents uh, quite the challenge. Okay, we've pretty much set the stage with the news and the notes Coming up after the break, we're going to give you a quick Long Beach Acura Grand Prix preview, both from me and TK and from a rookie who is going to be in the field as one of Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing's drivers. We're going to visit with Christian Lungard as soon as you listen to this message. Quick pit stop, and then we're back on the track. This This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. 
Welcome back to Brick by Brick. He's Tony Kanan. I'm Jack Root. We are very, very happy that you are with us. TK, each and every week, uh, I, I post a new podcast, Jack Root's Wind Tunnel. And what I endeavor to do is give people uh, a look behind the curtain. And this week, I had a great opportunity to visit with, you know, a guy that has really impressed you and me and the IndyCar community since he took a one-off flyer last fall to compete for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing in uh, the Indy Harvest Grand Prix on the road course. And it earned him a full-time spot in IndyCar after his sights had been set for a very long time on a Formula One career. In fact, he was already a reserve driver for F1's Alpine team, but now Christian Lundgaard is running full-time in the NTT IndyCar Series. I sat down with him on my most recent podcast, and this is the way the conversation went with the rookie. Before we go on to Long Beach, we've got to go back and revisit the journey to you acquiring uh, an addition to your skill set. You know what I'm talking about, oval track racing. As I understand it, prior to that rookie test at Texas Motor Speedway, you had never turned a single lap on an oval? Nope. Uh, the, the rookie test was my first ever time on, on an oval. And uh, I, I must say, after the morning session, I was kind of dizzy. You know, going, from going those speeds, handling the G-forces, G and, you know, you're just constantly driving around in circles at high speeds that, you know, as a European, that's what I would call it. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it was shocking, really. Um, but then, like, 10 minutes after I was feeling fine, we had lunch. We, we had some debriefs about the morning, uh, the progress that I've, that I've made. Um, I jumped in in the afternoon and felt nothing. So, you know, it, it just proves how quickly I adapted to, to kind of that new scenario and, and, and new opportunity um i loved it i must i must say it was scary at first but um you know we had i think seven cars on track for the rookie test and i think we were all pretty close in terms of speeds um we definitely weren't as fast in qualifying uh doing the race weekend as we were hoping to be um we we have found some stuff that that could be the solution obviously we're, we're not going to be sure as we're not going back to Texas this year. Um, but, you know, we, we have some, some ideas what it could have been, but we had a good race car. And I think uh, we were making progress through the field in the race. And it, I think that test, the rookie test helped me to get there. Cause I don't think there was one point in the race where I didn't feel comfortable in the car. So it, it, it proves, you know, the, the adaptation is there. Um, I can adapt to, uh, to new, new things. I was about to say, it seems to me, Christian, that your ability, and it is well above the norm, to adapt to whatever is thrown your way, seems to be maybe one of the critical components of your success. Uh, is that something that comes natural to you? Or was that something that you, you know, you tried to diversify early on as a youngster, so that you would develop that adaptability? I think it has been developed, uh, you know, to a certain degree, it's, it's natural. Um, I think that, that, that is the, the difference between exceptional drivers and, and great drivers in the end. You know, it's what is natural and what do they adapt to? What do, we, do they improve in, in, in their young uh, upcoming career? Um, and with me, you know, as a, as a 
small family with a bigger brother. Uh, we used to race karting, obviously. We, we started in go-karts. Uh, we just raced nationally in Denmark. Um, won championships there and, and were competitive. And we took the decision to go internationally. So we actually kind of rented our house out in, in Denmark and lived in a car van for a year. And we just drove to different countries racing internationally. And I think that that was 2014. I think that was the year where I developed the most because you, you weren't just racing the guys that you usually race. So, you know, you, you know what to expect and, and you know, everyone has driven on the certain tracks X amount of times. Now you'd come to a new track, zero experience driving against the best in the world that's probably been there 10 times before. And you just show up as, as a rookie. And I'm not going to say we were competitive straight away. We, we had some ups and downs. We had good weekends. We had bad weekends. But the budget wasn't really there for both of us to race. So I would do, like, if, if there was a championship of a certain championship, we would do, I would do one round and my brother would do the, uh, another round, um, you know, to try to, to, to use the budget to the full uh, potential uh, and use our potential uh, to the max. And I think that year is where I learned the most because the following year, I won the first race of the season internationally and I won the European Championship. So I think that was kind of my step forward. That, that's where I improved uh, my, myself the most and, and, and got this ability, I would say. So I want to know, how did that year traveling from country to country and race to race prepare you in any way for what you are now facing? And that's being in the United States and having to acquire tastes for specific foods, you know, a lot of what we call, you know, we take for granted as Americans, things that are like the sun coming up in the morning. What has been the biggest adjustment for you? I think it's actually settling down, um, which has been the biggest difference. And, and because I think since 2014, I basically lived in a suitcase traveling from hotel to hotel. Um, and in 2021, Last year, I lived in the UK with near the near the factory of Alpine, you know, so I was at the factory every day. Um, but at the same time, we were racing in different countries. So you would you'd come home, you'd be home for like three weeks, four weeks, maybe you'd go to a country and race. And then maybe it's a double header where you race two weekends in a row. Then you'd come home for a little while and then you'd go again where. But that's the difference to here. Here we are racing nationally. We are racing in the same country and you can be back home Sunday night and you would sleep in your own bed. You know, so I'm also looking forward for, for, the, for, for uh, the road course again uh, in, in the beginning of May um, because I, I'm pretty sure I'll be, be sleeping at home. It might be a different story for, for, the, for the speedway, but for me, it, it's going to be a weird feeling. But that has been the biggest difference uh, for me to, to kind of I wouldn't say accept, but get used to is that I've settled down here. You know, now I'm, I'm just living a normal life, but racing on the side. Um, and I just think the culture in terms of European racing and American racing is different. Um, I would say Europe is, is a little more hectic, a little more political, where here it's, it, you know, you put the car on the ground and you race. I think a, a very good example is NASCAR that, you know, they, they don't do practice. They just show up and race, you know, it, it, it's just such a different uh, 
atmosphere and, and, and way of racing. I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm in favor of the NASCAR style, um, but you know, it, it, it's just different. And I, I think it's, I spoke to Kevin Mackinson about this um, before I came over here, because he said I would love it over here because uh, he's been doing the IMSA. And I said, well, let's see. I don't know. You know, I don't know what to expect, but uh, I, I must say he was right. Long Beach on the horizon. There are certain iconic events running and winning on the streets of Long Beach is just a clip below winning, let's say, the Indianapolis 500. So how does a rookie, someone that's never raced there, prepare for going down the streets of Long Beach at the highest speeds possible? And how do you maximize it? How do you get ready for it, Christian? I think, you know, once we get to the weekend, the most important is to be on pace straight away. Um, what I believe will have helped me is having done St. Pete as the opening round. Um, it's a street circuit. And that was the first time I drove the Indy car on a street circuit. Uh, the Indy GP might be a wrong example of what I can do because it's, it's something I'm used to. It's a road course. It's what I've been doing my entire life. Yes, we've had street circuits on, on occasions. But, uh, you know, it's a car you've, you've been used to at that point. So you, you might have done five, six rounds before you go to a street circuit. Where here, it was just bang on straight into a street circuit uh, this year in St. Pete. Um, and I think that having that experience going into Long Beach is, I think, what's going to be my, uh, my biggest benefiter. Because I think that has helped me the most. But obviously, all the work that goes on and preparations with the team, uh, preparations by myself... I'm not going to say exactly what I've done because I, I've taken a different approach for this weekend than I've normally done to any other weekend. Um, I've spent a lot of time in the simulator uh, in that room right over there, um, right now, yeah, five feet away from me um, in my own simulator. And I've, I've just, you know, done laps and I've spent hours, a ton of hours just driving around. And I must say, when you've done six hours of simming, you get tired. You know, you don't, you don't want to do another, another hour. Um, but, you know, it, it's about working through stuff instead of just doing laps. It's, it's actually experimenting and, and, and doing stuff. Uh, I've done a lot of work with the team to, to prepare. Um, I know Jack and, and Graham. Uh, Jack, obviously, now fit to, to race, uh, which I'm ex extremely excited for. I, I spoke to him yesterday and, and two days ago and, you know, just following his progress. And I think having three cars on the track as well, I know Graham has been successful there. Um, I just got to learn from them. But at the same time, now I have the experience of an oval race. You know, I've, got, I've gotten more confident in the car. We did St. Pete. We didn't start off with the best pace, but we caught up. We were competitive in the race. We were quick in the race. Um, potentially should have finished better than, than we did. Um, after we, we had an overheating on the ECU, so the... The last stop took a took a little longer than than it was supposed to, and, and we lost a couple of positions there, you know. So it, it proves we can do it, but we just haven't done it. And I think that's what really annoys us, is that St. Pete we could have finished so much better with three cars, and we did. The same, potentially the same in Texas. We didn't have the best quality car, but we had a really good race car. Unfortunately, Graham got taken out, and Jack had his accident in, in P2. But in the end, we had Santino just jump in the car and, and straight away performed, you know? So it, it proves the car is there. We just haven't had the circumstances with us. And I am pretty convinced that this weekend, we're not going to take any, anything for granted. We're going to full send it. 
and um, get a Ray Hall one, two, three. I, I don't know about you, TK, but I thought that was a pretty bold prediction on the part of Lingard. <laughs> you know, we're going to finish first, second, and third. And yet, he does not seem to be intimidated by anything. Even the way he explained uh, the issues that came into play in his Oval Track debut. He's a mix of cerebralness and I think young enthusiasm. And uh, I think this kid's going to go a long way. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I actually got a chance to meet him. He works out of the gym here in Indy, the same gym I go at Pit Fit. And uh, pretty cool kids. Uh, I agree with you. Very, very bold prediction. I mean, if you think about the years that Andretti dominated, uh, Dan, myself, Dario, and Brian were only to do only able to do that once in St. Pete. So uh, good luck to him. I think uh, think he's wrong, but uh, you know, I have my own predictions. But yeah, the kid is. And then I think you. Rem- I mean, you just said it. I mean, he impressed all of us hopping in an Indy car uh, here at uh, at the road course at Indy and 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 then just hammered. So uh, he's definitely going to be a, a contender in Long Beach for sure. I want to warn you and all of the fans that may run into him at an autograph session or something of that nature this weekend at Long Beach. Um, you know, traditionally, sponsors want, you know, you to wear their baseball cap, right? Their sponsor cap. And... Uh, Lungard has gone a little different direction. Uh, I call it the Gilligan's Island hat. You know, the hat with the brim, and it's kind of crushable. And generally you see uh, old-timers on the shores of, a, of uh, let's say, the uh, west coast of Florida surf fishing that wear, the, wear them. Lungard is sporting one of those. It is entirely different than a baseball cap. And all it says in the front Danish. <laughs> so, so he does have a sense of humor as well. All right. He, he does. He does for sure. So much for he and a rookie crop that are going to be tackling uh, Long Beach. I want to circle back to what you think the key issues are going to be for whomever takes that checkered flag at Long Beach and gets his name and his imprint in the Walk of Fame and Victory Lane for the Long Beach Grand Prix. Uh, I think qualifying is going to be crucial. Um, mm. it's, it's such a competitive series right now that it's really tough to, um, you know, if you don't qualify ahead. But I have to say the number one thing will be Long Beach is very well known for the strategy races for because there's a history of yellows there. I, you guys are going to have to keep an eye from 16th to 23rd on the field trying to dive into the pitch by lap five or six and do an alternative strategy. And, and like I was looking at the stats, obviously I get some insight from, mm-hmm. you know, the, the reports from Ganassi, but 65% of the times that strategy worked. So that's more than half of the races we've done there. Um, guys that started from 16th behind ended up in the top five, if not winning the race. So, I have to say the key thing is, I mean, there are plenty, but if I have to pick one, I would say you're going to have to be luckier with the strategy. And, you know, when, when you start in the front, Jack, you, you can't, you don't have the luxury to do that. You're not going to dive into the pits on lap eight. You know what I mean? And then, and, and so, and, and, and basically the leader will set that. So the top 10 guys says, well, we'll do what the leader does, you know? And 
And if it goes yellow by lap four, all those guys behind are going to dive into the pits. The guys in front, they won't, because then if the guys in front dive into the pits, the guys behind will stay out. You know, so that's what makes that race extremely interesting. Well, before you and I are forced to pick our winners this weekend at Long Beach, let me pose this one to you. It's kind of a prop bet. A continuation of the success by Team Penske's three-car juggernaut at Long Beach, or uh, finally, Andretti Autosport getting off the schneid and becoming competitive. Which one, in your opinion, Tony Kanan, has a stronger likelihood of taking place? Ah, oh, Penske. Uh, there's yeah. no doubt. They're, they're in a row. I mean, and it's hard to stop them when it's like that, which, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to say I hate to say it because it's like they had a, a couple of years that they were not that dominant. But if you, if you watch the first two races, uh, it's a sign. And I told you that the last show we did. I'm extremely worried about the Speedway because when they have years like this, it's, uh, it's pretty hard to beat them. So I would say I will pick Penske. All right. So I'm assuming that your prediction of a winning team is going to come from Team Penske, but the question is, which driver, my friend? I think Will Power is going to win this one. Ah, I hate when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think I think Powers do, and I, I got to be honest with you. Just as you said, the simple fact that qualifying is so crucial. Uh, at this twisting uh, road course with concrete barriers virtually everywhere. Uh, I, th- I think the uh, the animal comes out in him, and he attacks the course, makes it to the Firestone Fast 6, and then grabs a P1 pole yet again. So uh, I'm right in lockstep with you. At the end of the day on Sunday, it will be willpower that you will hear uh, as we bring you the uh, the uh, radio broadcast on IndyCar Nation Channel 160 of the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach this Sunday. And to make sure that you tune in to get all of the word pictures from what both Tony Kanan and I feel is one of the crown jewels in IndyCar competition. All right, before we close out, and this is not meant to throw anybody in any way, shape, or form under the bus, but an awful lot of buzz, not only in the IndyCar nation, but in the NASCAR world, was created by our two chuckleheads that host a podcast called Off Track with Hinch and Rossi when they sat down and examined the end result of the (laughs) Coda race in NASCAR's cup competition that, well, let's just say Hinchcliffe thought the end was a horse beep move, <laughs> and it did provide Ross Chastain with his very first career victory at the cup level. We'll take a listen to that and weigh in right after this timeout. Quick pit stop, and then we're back on the track. This, this is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Welcome back. He's Tony Kanan. I'm Jack Root. And it's always fun when somebody uh, in their podcast, uh, let's say, bends some noses out of joint. And that was the case with our buddies Hinch and Alexander Rossi in their uh, weekly little get-together in the podcast universe known as Off Track. The posting, TK, following 
uh, Ross Chastain's first career victory in the NASCAR Cup Series appearance at the Circuit of Americas. Uh, let's just say it was not to James Hinchcliffe's liking. Take a listen to uh, Hinch's assessment of the final lap of that NASCAR event. This is going to be a very unpopular rant among certain people, but I have to just, it just, it frustrates me so much. And I'm going to open by being very blunt and upfront and honest about the fact that I'm biased as hell because AJ is a good friend of mine and I love him and he's a hell of a racing driver. And yes. So I understand and accept and enjoy that it's just known in NASCAR that if you are leading on the last lap of a road course or a short oval, you will be moved. That's just how it is. And the drivers all accept it. It's just part of the sport. Okay, cool. I can buy into that. Here's where, why I think what happened on Sunday was just complete horse So AJ was the fastest car all day. His crew maybe not wasn't as good as some of the others. Lost some spots on pit stops, whatever, whatever would fall back, fifth, whatever. Always got back up to the front. Always. Fastest guy. He had won the Xfinity race on Saturday. Congrats, AJ. And was definitely the clearest, the clearly, clearly the best car. So for that last hit, he sat in second. He knows how it works. Last lap, he waited until the slowest corner on the track mm-hmm. gave Chastain. I mean, you, there was no actual footage of contact. He he hit him so lightly to get around him. No, he hit him. He moved him for sure. Okay, right. But it wasn't like he didn't bump him from behind. He got kind of to his quarter, just moved him wide, got through. Right. Okay. It did allow Bowman to also get through. Yes. I've now finally figured out the difference between Bowman and um, Byron. <laughs> Byron. So Bowman gets through, AJ gets through, and then they go through the carousel, and Bowman's actually leading. AJ's second. Chastain's now third. So whereas AJ nudged him wide, Chastain was just pure driving on anger at that point, right? Had no sense of what he was doing or why. And not even like let off the brake, like stayed on the gas going into a corner, hit AJ so hard that he launched in the guy in third took out first and second place. He bowled them both out of the way and won the race. Awesome. It's pathetic, (laughs) man. It's horse. He shouldn't have won that race. And the fact that everybody in NASCAR is like, yeah, it's just good racing. It's not. If NASCAR is willing to look people in the eye and say, we are the WWE of motorsports, then fine. But if you're going to call yourself even remotely a sport, okay, that kind of behavior is just so hard to wrap my head around. Now, with all due respect, I, I understand, you know, but that is NASCAR, TK. Okay? The bump and the grind has been around. The using the chrome horn, all of the terminology, that's been part and parcel of stock car racing. It's 1948. When <laughs> yeah, were I mean, Jack, I mean, all, all due respect to, to Hinch, and then I see his point, but I mean, he's young, but he should see how Dale Senior raced people in the past, and then uh, <laughs> I think he wouldn't have made that comment. I mean, you're right, but like, I'm going to bring up a couple points here. Think about this. A win in Cup Series guarantees you to the playoffs, number one. Number two, this kid's first win. So, come on. Number three, it's like you said, it's NASCAR. You can use your bumpers for that. It's been done since day one. It's not something that, you know, oh, he just did that and nobody did anything. Number four, it's, it's their rules. It's not against the rules to do it. So, 
I don't see the argument. I see the opinion. Like you're going to say, TK, do you like this? Do you like that? Well, it doesn't matter what I like. It doesn't matter what Hinch likes. It, it's, it's, it's the rules. It's being the way it is. I mean, I understand that, you know, even see our good friend Dinger, how mad he was at the end of the race, right? That but he he's, done it. he's done but it. But he's done it as well. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, with all due respect to Dinger, he did too. Let's go back to Bristol in the Xfinity race one year ago, and he put a tattoo on uh, Team Penske's driver, Austin Sindrick. So it goes with the territory, my friend. I want to go one step further. You have a history now in the superstar racing experience known as SRX. They used a chrome horn, didn't they? Oh, I mean, I, I got, I mean, until Tony Stewart came to me and says, you need to start punting people. Yeah. And, and I had, I had the open wheel mentality. You go, oh, a little tap here. Oh, it's so unfair to do it. But then you think it's unfair to do it on the last lap until somebody does it to you. Then you go, you know what? Like enough being, you know, enough being nice, enough being like, that's it. I mean, this, because it's not that you're being mean. That is the nature of the racing that they are. So it's not like, oh, this guy, because Dinger was like, oh, well, if you can sleep well at night, you know, I mean, well, you know what, man? I mean, unfortunately, he will sleep good at night because he's in the playoffs and he was his first, he won his first NASCAR race before, you know, and, and then made it to the playoffs. So, I mean, it, it, again, it, it was fun to listen. I mean, I know Hitch got hammered uh, by oh. a lot of people because, because come on, it, it wasn't the first time and it's not going to be the last time. We've seen that even in the, I mean, Think about it, Jack. I mean, even even in the playoffs, I actually look how well they respect each other in the playoffs. You know what I mean? The, the, you, you don't see that happening a lot. Because... Oh, wait a minute. In the Xfinity finale. Right, in, right. Uh, so, I'm sorry. Phoenix, yeah, I'll remember? take it back. Well, Daniel Hemrick, <laughs> who yep, had never yep. won, I mean, just drove it down into that final corner, won his first career victory, and in doing so, delivered to Joe Gibbs Racing the Xfinity title. Look, bottom line, you do what you have to do, and what is acceptable by the rules and the skill set in that particular discipline. TK, just last week, all right, young Ty Gibbs is teamed up with John Hunter Nemechek at uh, you know, at the short track at Richmond Fair, Richmond Raceway, what yeah. does what does Ty Gibbs do? He moves John Hunter Nemechek out of the way to score the victory, and they're teammates. Forgive me, I do not buy what what what, what Hinch and I think he went a little over the top when he accused NASCAR of being the WWE. Different nah, strokes, that, that was, yeah, different strokes for different folks. Okay. Correct, correct. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Okay. Correct. I I, I agree. And then again, I mean, as much as I love Hinch, and I think uh, they have a great podcast. You see Rossi there, kind of like Rossi is always Rossi, right? I call him. He's very authentic. He says the way it is, and and he's like, well, I don't like this, but well, you know, but he's also, but he also, you could hear it. Uh, he 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 he's an antagonizer. All right. <laughs> yeah. Right. He, right. he, he, he knows where to poke the hinch. Okay? He right, knows right, how to right. crank him up. <laughs> right. but, but, but again, I mean, I think they, they, you know, they did the whole, the whole, you know, hinch's opinion and then this whole thing. And, and again, when I saw it, 
I, I, I didn't think it was a big deal because, like you said, that's that's the way they race. I, I'm worried about only one thing. Tried to track it, and we'll be done with the conversation after this point. We finally have gone beyond detente and have become cooperative partners, IndyCar and NASCAR. It's been positive for both disciplines. Right. I've been tracking very carefully because the last thing you want to do is poke the bear and wake up a mob that then take the coward's way out and make allegations and, you know, carry on, uh, you know, on the social media platforms without any understanding of where Hinch was coming from. But so right. far, and I'm not a social media genius, as you can attest to, uh, but I have I thought you were. Yeah, right. <laughs> well played, my friend. Uh, I, I haven't seen it take on this uh, false life and probably considering that NASCAR will be at Martinsville, uh, IndyCar will share the stage with IMSA uh, and the Long Beach Grand Prix. By our time getting together next Wednesday, it won't even be discussed or talked about. No, I mean, Jack, honestly, I, I honestly don't think it's a big deal. I know Hinch got a little bit of heat, but like I said, everybody that listened to Hinch said, come on, Hinch, this is NASCAR. Like we just said, it wasn't like, okay, he's, he's criticizing or he's like, he's like, dude, you just then either don't watch or you haven't, you never watched a NASCAR race before. You know what I mean? So I, I don't think it was poisoned by you're going to go, well, this is like, well, we started something, you know, this is going to be bad or the NASCAR guys are going to get mad. I mean, they're like, okay, dude, you haven't watched our races before. So. All right, before we close it out, we always like to do this now and again. And, uh, you know, you are a good sport about it. I'm the questioner, and you have to try, attempt, to give me an answer in one sentence or less. So are you ready? No, but yeah. Okay. It's Q&A with TK. Tony Kanaan knows what it's like to win a championship. Let's hop in the cockpit to get the inside perspective from a current NTT IndyCar driver, former champ, and Indy 500 winner. Now winner of the Indianapolis 500, my friend. Great job, Tony. Tony Kanaan, it's time for you to take the lead. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Tony Kanaan. Question number one. Where's the next place on your travel bucket list? Um, Hawaii. Question number two. What was the last TV show that you sat down and binge watched? Uh, Blacklist. Me too. Yeah. Okay. Besides doing this show, what's the one thing that can instantly make your day better? Uh, uh, get on my bike and ride. Question number four. Do you have any pet peeves? Uh, yeah, plenty. But uh, the worst one is if you tell me we're starting at 11 o'clock, we're starting at 11 o'clock. It's not 11.01 and it's not 10.59. It's 11 o'clock. That was a bazinga to our producer who was a little... No, it was not. It was not. not. (laughs) What's the best gift that Tony Kanan has ever received? My family. Mm. And what's your most embarrassing moment? My most embarrassing moment? Uh, okay. I, I don't have a really, really bad one, but like uh, I, uh, 
I was walking at the airport and this guy, uh, I'm coming down the stairs and this guy is waving to the person behind me and I'm waving back thinking it was for me because oh, I I've thought he that. was a fan. Oh yeah, and, I've done that. And there was the guy like, what are you doing? And I was I, like, oh, okay. I had even more okay. embarrassing than that, TK. From afar, yes, I'm waving and I figure oh, I'll go give him an autograph, right? I walk up. And I say, hey, how you doing? He walks right by me, and he is saying hello to his girlfriend who had gotten off the plane. Okay. Yeah, uh, that was exactly what happened to me. But, I mean, it was like, okay, well, I guess, uh, you know, that put me right back in my place. Like, come on, dude, it's not not you. All right. And and our final question, we know how important the 2013 Indy 500 championship was to Tony Kanaan. But discounting that, what has been your most uh, important career highlight that outside of that having your face on the Borg Warner Trophy you're most proud of? Uh, when I got uh, my contract was terminated in 2010 and I was able to go back and find the sponsors to, to be back in the series. And that led to the 2013 win. So that's probably because of that, right? It was the worst thing that happened in my career. I had a five-year deal and was cut short. Um, that made me last apart from obviously winning the 500. I'm still in IndyCar today. So that's definitely the most proud moment. for sure. And we are all the better for it. Hey, it's been fun for this uh, 60 Minutes. Quick reminder, uh, you as part of the IndyCar Nation can hear the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach and all of the buildup on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network by tuning in this weekend, starting on Friday, on uh, IndyCar Nation and able to get all of the word pictures and play-by-play. A uh, quick reminder that the executive producer of Brick by Brick is Marissa Rivas. Our producer is Nate Lee. Nate, next time, show up on time. For my partner, Tony Kanan, I'm Jack Aroot, reminding you to be sure to join us next week when we'll get together again for yet another edition of Brick by Brick.